0: Well, welcome to Redemption Church, and uh, like I said, we're going to start getting used to that, that uh, name a little bit, and so I'll probably flub in the next uh, couple months and say, welcome to Harvest, or go to Harvest whatever, Kids, whatever it may be, but uh, uh, we have a new name, and we're excited for that as well. Um, so if you have your Bibles with you, would you turn to Psalm chapter 19, Psalm chapter 19, very center of your Bibles, um, Psalms should be a well-worn place in your Bible. It's a place of, of praise and worship and prayer. Um, Psalms for me is, is, is a go-to uh, whenever I need to get in God's Word, which is every day, right? Every day I need to be in God's Word. Uh, sometimes if you're just wanting to grab God's Word and, and to hear from Him, you, you need something to lead you in prayer, God's Word in the Psalms can do that for you. It is so powerful. One thing that I practice in my prayer life is looking at the date. Um, so what is the date today? Anybody know? 14th? 15th? 15th? Yeah. And so I'll just grab the Psalms and I'll go to Psalm 15. And then if that's not enough, I'll grab another, add 30 to that and go to Psalm 45. It's just a great pra- practice to let God's Word be leading you in your prayer. Sometimes we come to the Lord in prayer and, and, and we have all the things that we want to pray for. But what we really need to be doing inside of that is also going to God's word. How, what does God want from me in prayer? How does he want me to pray to him? And the Psalms will lead you in that as well. And so here we are again. Last week, we closed the chapter of Colossians. We spent uh, four months in Colossians uh, learning what God has for us in there. And so now we are in the summer. And, and so we're going to be spending some time in the Psalms this summer. I have some summer psalms for you, and, and today we're going to be looking at Psalm 19. Now, let me start by asking you this question as we go to Psalm chapter 19 here this morning. Who has heard from the Lord this week? Who has heard the Lord's voice, heard him speak this week? Let's just talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about that before we begin. God Speaks? Is God still speaking? Is He still revealing Himself? That's a great question, right? Now, I could take this in the direction of of charismatic gifts and all this kind of stuff, but that's not where we're going today. Today, we're going to be talking about God speaking, how He has always spoken, and we're going to be looking at three ways of how He speaks. It's a great question to be pondering Is God still speaking? I want to take you to that essential understanding today, that God is still speaking. And he is speaking loudly, and he is speaking clearly. And when God speaks, what should be our natural response? What is the natural response of God's creation when his creator speaks to him? We should be listening. Our ears should be open. And we should be responding in worship. So God is still he is still revealing himself. He is not silent. He is the loudest voice in this universe. He is speaking. The question is is are we listening? Are we hearing his voice every day? We need to hear his voice every day. And so today we're going to see God is not silent. God is not silent at all. He is still speaking. We're going to see in Psalm 19 that he speaks here. We're going to, it's going to be shown to us that he's still speaking in three ways. And so let's turn to Psalm chapter 19. Love this psalm. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. It's rising is from the end of the heavens, and it's circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's ask for the Lord's help. Lord, we come to your word. It's open before us. As you have written the Bible, by your Holy Spirit, through the hands of men. We approach it as sufficient, we approach it as holy, we approach it as true. We see here, Lord, that your word revives the soul. Lord, we ask that you would revive our souls this morning with your word. And if there is any unbelievers among us this morning, that you would raise a soul from the dead by the power of your word, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Your word is powerful. And so we ask for your help. Help us to remove the distractions from our minds. Help us to set our focus on you. We pray for the illumination of the text from the Holy Spirit, and that you would open our hearts to receive it. You would convict us, encourage us, teach us, admonish us. And use us for your glory. Lord, would you speak to us today through your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So God is still speaking. God is not silent. We see that so clearly here. So in these first six verses of our text today, we're going to see how God still speaks. God is not silent. He is universally speaking through creation. He is universally speaking through creation Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. God is speaking through his creation. We see the psalmist here. The first thing he's pointing us to is that the heavens declare and the sky above proclaims, declare and proclaim. He sets the stage by getting us to be looking up, looking to the heavens, looking to the sky, getting our eyes off ourselves looking up to marvel at the universe around us. And the heavens, what are they doing? They are declaring. They are proclaiming. When we think about heavens, this should draw our minds back to Genesis 1. The very first verse in Scripture, in the beginning, God created what? What did he create? He created the heavens. And how did he create it? He created it by merely speaking speaking, and it came to an existence. Psalm 33, verses 6, and then in verse 9, we see, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. Verse 9, For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Our God is powerful. It's creating this amazing universe by the power of his words. He didn't use any tools. He didn't use any material. Remember, he created it out of nothing, ex nihilo. And as he spoke, the first thing we see is that he creates the heavens. This imagery of the heavens is intention, like I said, to get our eyes off ourselves, to look beyond ourselves, beyond our current situation, beyond this world. And it's to get us to focus our gaze upon the beauty that is out of our reach. Now, the word being translated sky here comes from the Hebrew word rakia, which is sometimes used for the air that we breathe. But specifically in this context, it refers to the the space beyond our touch, the, the space above the mountaintops, above the trees, above the birds, the skies above where the clouds live, where the thunder rolls. You know, one of the things about living on the prairies, which I love, is that you get to see the sky right? You get to see what's coming. Uh, two nights ago, anybody, uh, you know, we had that cold wind come in. I love that. Our house was boiling, and it immediately cooled off. It went from 35 degrees to 18 degrees, and I had to go for a drive to pick up my sons, and uh, looking to the north, you could see the skies building. You could see the towers of the clouds going up. Absolutely beautiful. I love that about the plains. These are the kind of things that you can't see inside of the middle of a large city sometimes in the skyscrapers. You can't see this when you're in the mountains. You can't see this when you're inside the forest. We lived in Louisville, Kentucky for a while, and we lived in Chicago for a while, and, and these are cities where it's just covered with trees. You don't see what's coming. You can't see what the weather's doing, and I love that about being here. If you want to know how the day is going to be, you just look. Look to the west. You can see what's coming, right? Right? You don't have to look at the forecast as much. And you can see for miles, and you can see for miles, and the clouds stretch out forever. Love early morning sunset or sunrises and, and, and sunsets, seeing how only God could paint beauty like that. I've never seen a painting yet capture the beauty of a morning sunrise or a sunset. And so the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And then we see this word for heavens, Shemayin. This even pushes our focus beyond just the sky. It pushes our focus to the atmosphere above and, and into the outer space. It pushes our gaze even further towards the moon and the sun and the stars and our own solar system. The sky above and, and the heavens never fail to capture our attention. Never fail. Mankind has been gazing at the sky ever since the beginning. Who here loves to gaze at the stars? Get outside of the city and see the magnificence of the stars. Well, some of the earliest astronomers, they tried to count the stars, right? They thought, you know what, we should try to quantify what's going on up there, and so we're going we're gonna to set out to count these things. Well, back in, in AD 150, Ptolemy went out, and he was going to count the stars. And so he went about doing it, and uh, he spent some time doing that, and he came up with the number. Anybody guess what the number is? Yeah? 1,022. 1,022 stars. It's a pretty big number, isn't it? Well, modern science helps us a little more here. In fact, in in our Milky Way galaxy alone, there are over 100 billion stars. And just in this little galaxy alone, we see all of those billions of stars. But that galaxy is a galaxy among 100 billion galaxies. That means that there's at least 100 octillion stars out there. That's a one with 29 zeros behind it. You can't even fathom what that is like. Absolutely incredible These stars, they stretch out for 46 billion light years. That's as far as our science can even understand right now. And light itself travels at 300,000 kilometers every second. And so in one year, light travels 10 trillion kilometers in a year. So that's one light year. Now you got to times that distance by 46 billion. That's how vast our universe is. And I bet you it's, it's beyond that, right? It's so incredible. We can't even fathom it. But our God created that by the words coming out of his mouth. So you ever ask yourself that question, why in the world did God build this so big? Why in the world would he make it so vast? Well... The answer's here. The heavens declare what? They declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. It's all about Him. It's large, it's beautiful, it's amazing because that's who He is. In the original uh, sense of the verbs here in the Hebrew, they're participles, so it's it's an ongoing action. It's an ongoing, continuing action. This declare to declare is to continue to be declaring, to continue to be proclaiming. And that's why I'm saying God is still speaking. So as his creation shines forth on us, he is still speaking through that creation. And it's all about him, and it's all about his glory. The whole point of God's creation is to continue to speak and point all creation back to the creator. It's an ongoing thing. We see that even in verse 2 here. It says, day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. God never stops speaking about himself. He never stops speaking about himself. It's a 24-7, 365-day-a-year job proclaiming my glory, God's glory. God doesn't sleep. He never stops revealing himself. And then verse 3 tells us that his speech is like a sermon, and it's a sermon. It's, it's declaration for everyone. It says here, There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Friends, did you know that God is relentlessly proclaiming the news about himself to the world, to his people? It's like everyone who has ever existed is standing in front of a bullhorn and God is declaring, I am here. I am God. I am powerful. I am supreme. I am creator. You cannot deny it. Friends, uh, there is no true atheist. There is no true atheist. They may claim to be an atheist that they don't believe in God, but the creation is declaring to them that he is there. Romans 1:20 says, "His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made." So they are without excuse. It's clear he is here. He has created it all. God's creation screams of his existence. Scripture tells us the fool says there is no God. And to deny his reality, it goes against a tsunami of evidence that he is there. Their voice goes out to the end of the world. He is everywhere. He's crying out from every corner. You cannot hide from God. There is no place within this 46 billion light-year-wide universe that you can hide from the the Lord declaring his existence to you. And then the psalmist, he even presses the point even further here. He sets our focus on on the sun, the very center of our solar system, and how the sun proclaims the glory of God. He says that the darkness is, is like a space, like a tent, a tent for the sun. And when the sun rises, it comes out like a bridegroom, like a bridegroom on his wedding day, dressed for the wedding day, dressed for glory, leaving his chamber and then shining brightly in joyful exuberance on his wedding day. And he says, it's rising as from the ends of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The sun is pictured here rising and moving and shining on everything. Nothing can be hidden from its heat. Again, this shows us that the existence of God cannot be denied. His mercy cannot be escaped. There is no life apart from him. This is the God who is all-powerful. He is creator. He is sustainer of all things. He cannot be escaped. And he shines his light and he shines his heat into the cold darkness of this world. This reminds me of Psalm 139, verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, you are there. You cannot escape the revelation of God himself the truth is that as hard as you may try you cannot escape the reality and the truth of God to deny him is to not deny all evidence around you god is universally speaking through his creation he is speaking to you through his creation he is relentless are you listening As a kid, I spent a lot of time out in nature with my my father out in the wild. We lived in northern British Columbia on the edge of the mountains. We would do a lot of fishing and and camping and and hunting, and we spent a lot of time just enjoying God's creation. And I remember at nighttime camping out under the stars one time, and the stars came out and the northern lights came out, and, and I just... You are just in marvel at what's going on. These lights, purple and pink, just dancing in the sky. It's so incredible. When you look up, you see what God has made. As much as we love this place, there is so much more. And what I love about that is when we see his creation, we get smaller, he gets greater. So us for us as believers... This first section, these first six verses should, should cause our hearts to be in greater awe of who God is. This glorious expanse of the universe. We should be in ever-increasing awe of who God is. Our minds should be enraptured with the glory and the splendor of our King, our Creator. The best kind of a worshiper is a small worshiper. You're humble you're brought low. God gets bigger and bigger and more glorious in your eyes. And you are humbled before him. And so ask yourself that question that Is Is God big in my eyes today? Is he big in my eyes today? Is he magnificent? Is he glorious? Or have we lost, lost sight of him? Are you caught up in, in the busyness and the distractions of this world? Are you going after your own glory rather than going after God's glory? Are you so dialed into your own situation that you can't see past your nose? You can't see the glory of God. So friends, this text should really stop us in our tracks here this morning and ponder the immensity of God again. Maybe maybe you need to get out. Maybe you need to get out of the city Get out of your home. Make some time and, and go see the Lord in his creation. I mean, we see him all around us. We just need to look in the mirror and we can see the beauty of his creation just by looking at us, looking at, looking at the human eyeball. It'll blow your mind. Darwin said the human eyeball makes him sick because of the incredible design of the eyeball. And so we need to get outside of our own circumstances and see God's glory. Psalm 8, verses 3 to 4 says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? See, psalmist is looking to the sky, looking to what God has made, and he is getting smaller But inside of that, he's asking himself the question, God, you are so glorious and yet you love me? You care for me? And so look up, get low, restore the awe you once had. Now for unbelievers, this text should cause some serious concern in your hearts. God has been relentless and clear in pursuing you. Through his creation. And the natural question, as you see God and his creation, should be this How can I know him? I see that he is there. How can I know this God? What does he want from me? Why am I here? The biggest questions in the world. Yes, I can't deny his existence, but then what? Is the knowledge of his creation enough? Let me ask you that question. Is God's revelation of himself through creation enough? Can you know him through it? Can you know him through it? Well, the question is this is that you cannot know him intimately, personally, in a saving way just by observing his creation. You need more revelation. His creation is only a primer. It primes the pump. It's just a starting point. It's meant to prepare you for something greater. It's meant to drive you to pursue more knowledge. More knowledge of this glorious and abundantly amazing creator. And as loud and as relentless he is to speak to us through his creation, you will never be able to know God just by his creation. You will not. You cannot know him by general revelation alone. You need, more, you need more revelation. In fact, as you look back at verse 1, we see the word being used for God is the word el. This is just a general word for God back then. Even the pagan Canaanites would, would call God this word, el, God. It's a general understanding of God, the creator. And the psalmist is doing this intentionally here. And we will see in the next section that we need more revelation. You cannot know him by creation alone. You need more. You need particular, special revelation. And we're going to see that in the next five verses. That God is not silent. He is particularly speaking through his word. Particularly speaking through his word. This is special Revelation verses 7 to 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, Is your servant warned? In keeping them, there is great reward. This is God's special revelation. The law, his word, the perfect law of the Lord. Now let's remember the context of of Psalms here a little bit. Psalms were written and collected by King David about 3,000 years ago. He wrote and he collected them as songs of praise to be sung in the congregation as God's people would gather together and worship the Lord. These were not songs for pagans. These were not songs for the Egyptians or anybody else. This was for God's people, his covenant people. These were his chosen people, the Israelites. We have to remember that since the garden, God has been making for himself a people You can trace that through the scriptures, starting with Adam, right? And then through the seed of the woman, says in Genesis 3, verse 16, 15 and 16. And then it travels through his third son, Seth, and then Noah's son, Shem, and then through Abraham, and then Isaac, and Jacob, and now David and the Israelites. These were God's chosen people. They weren't special. They were just God's chosen people. And they were the people who received God's general revelation, but they also received God's special revelation. The Torah, that's the word for law there in verse 7. The law of the Lord. The law of the Lord, written on the Lord on the tablets that Moses had, right? The Mosaic law. They were to be his people and he was to be their God. And as they meditated and as they obeyed God's law, they would gather and they would worship. And that's what these psalms were about, would lead them in worship. Now I want you to take notice in verse 7 and 8 and 9, the name of God. The name of God in these verses is different than the one in verse 1. The word word for God here, if you you have an ESV or if you have a a New American Standard Bible, you'll see that Lord is capitalized. And that's for a specific reason. That stands in place of the personal name of God. YHWH, Yahweh, Great I Am. Personal covenant name of God. That's different than verse 1, which is a general word for God. Now we have his personal covenant name. In Exodus 3.14, the first time we heard this name was was to Moses in, in the burning bush. And God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is his personal, his intimate, his relational name to his people. It's a name that reveals his character. He is a God of covenant love. And this is love that can only be known through special revelation. And what's extremely important here is that the revelation of this love can only come through his word. It can only come through his word, through the Bible. So as Israel, as Israel was the covenant people at that point of time... Now we who are in Christ, who are in the new covenant bought by Christ's blood, we now are God's covenant people. And we have his special revelation, his word. And God is particularly speaking to us through his word. And the question is, is are we listening? Are we picking it up? And are we hearing from the Lord through his word? Creation is not enough. We need special revelation. It produces faith, Romans 10 17. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Without scripture, you cannot know Jesus. Without scripture, you cannot know him. Faith comes from by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You know, many people in this world are looking to creation, and they're seeing that there is a God. And they're coming up with all kinds of religions, all kinds of of ways they think that they can know him, but they cannot know him apart from God's word. This is why missions is so important. People across this planet are looking at creation, and they are seeing that there is a God, but they cannot know him apart from hearing about him by the word. The word drives us. They need to hear it. Verse 7, it revives the soul. The word of God in the hands of the Holy Spirit changes hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. It causes people to be born again. It causes us to know that apart from Christ, all of our work is in vain. All of our striving is in vain. All of our Trying to practice religion is in vain apart from the news of Jesus Christ and that He died for us. Before that, He lived for us, that He rose from the grave. You can't learn that from looking at a rock. You can't learn that from looking at the skies above. That's special news. That's particular revelation. This is news that brings life, it raises the dead, it produces faith, it produces repentance. It teaches us how to live. It's the reason Jim Elliot and Ed McCauley and Roger Ydorran and Pete Fleming and Nate St. It's the reason that they were killed by the Aka Indians in Ecuador in 1956. They knew that this unreached people group needed to hear God's special revelation. That's why they went. And in it they were killed. To share the good news. And it's such good news. It's such good news. The psalmist goes on to show us, even more than salvation, God's word leads to sanctification. And he shows us six different angles here. Six beautiful facets like a diamond about what God's word does. And we're going to see that here. The first one is that God's word produces wisdom. Wisdom. God's word produces wisdom. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The word testimony here means to bear witness. God is bearing witness about himself. And as God bears witness about himself, he produces wisdom in his people. This is what the Proverbs is all about. It's wisdom literature. When you look at Proverbs, you see there's this contrast always between wisdom and folly. And they often talk about the way of the simpleton, the young one. The one that needs to come to know the Lord. And if you follow the way of the simple, the way of the wicked woman in Proverbs, it leads to death. But if you follow lady wisdom in the Proverbs, it leads to life. God's word produces wisdom. It makes wise the simple. God's word produces joy. produces joy. The precepts of the Lord are right, and it rejoices the heart. Precept speaks about God's authority over His people. He has absolute authority over His creation. In looking at His authority through His Word, it puts us in the right perspective under His authority. And what that does, it, it kind of works contrary to our natural inclination, but under God's authority is where we'll find our greatest joy. You'll find your greatest joy under His authority. You know, we often don't think of of obedience as leading to joy. You know, we look at God's Word and we see there's a lot of things I, I should be doing here. And we think, well, that's kind of taking the fun away, right? God knows what's best. He knows what brings the most joy. And that is being enraptured in who He is, in Jesus Christ, following His way. Psalm 1 says, blessed, happy is the man Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Nor stands in the way of sinners. Nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. God's word produces joy. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you don't have a lot of joy today. I'm going to point you to God's word. His word will lead to joy. It will revive your soul. God's Word also produces purity. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. God's commands are always pure. They are always holy. He is without blemish. He is without sin. He is unstained from sin. And His Word enlightens our minds and leads us on the pure path. Leads us towards Jesus. The pure path of following him. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. His way is right. His way is pure. God's word produces purity. God's word produces reverence. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. God's word is actually being compared to the fear of the Lord here. Fear of the Lord is absolute reverence for who God is. And remember that fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? It is the beginning of wisdom. And the wisest thing you could ever do, the wisest thing you could ever pursue is to have the right perspective and the right honor for your creator. Clean. It's clean. Enduring forever means it's without error. And God's word will stand forever. Matthew 24, 35. Jesus says, Heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will never pass away. So why do we run to anything else? Why do we run to everything else? Looking for joy, looking for happiness. Happiness. God's word is is where we need to be going. Why do we chase the temporary wisdom of this word rather than God's eternal and perfect and holy words? God's word produces transformation. He says the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. God's rules. They are never false. They are always true. God cannot lie. He only speaks the truth. And through it, God produces righteous character. And I love this when Jesus prayed for us in his high priestly prayer. He prays and he asks the Father this. He says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Friends, divine truth, special revelation leads to transformation. Now, you could spend a lot of time digging in there. There's so much. To be seen, so much to be studied and and to, to lead you to worship. But know this, God's special revelation, his law, his testimony, his precepts, his commandments, his rules are so much more than you and I give them credit for. Apart from God's word, we are lost. We are without hope. He gives life through what he has written. And so are we treasuring it as such? Am I treasuring it as such? Am I listening to him speak, especially through his word, on a regular basis? I pray today that we would see God's word differently, that our eyes would be raised up, his word would be raised up, and that we would begin to long for it as the best thing we could ever pursue, the best and highest pursuit, The psalmist says that we should desire it more than gold, even much fine gold. We should desire to take it in. We should desire to eat it, to ingest it, to devour it, because it is sweeter than the drippings of the honeycomb. Friends, God's word in your mouth, God's word in your heart is the greatest thing you could ever taste. The greatest thing you could ever taste. God's word is meant to be ingested. It's meant to be tasted. It's meant to be savored. Psalm 34 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And then David goes on to say, Moreover, by them, by God's word, is his servant warned. And in keeping them, keeping his word, there is great reward. Friends, we can only keep God's Word by being found in Christ. He is the only one who kept God's Word perfectly. We keep God's Word by being found in the one who has kept God's Word. When we are in Christ, we also then get to to reap this great reward of holy living, of of righteous character, even though we're going to stumble in this life and we are going to fail. At the cross, we are justified. We are declared perfect. We are declared as one who has walked perfectly, even though we haven't, because Jesus is the one who walked perfectly. He is the one who never sinned. And so in that, let me ask you, are you desiring God's word? Are you desiring his special revelation to you? Is it sweeter than honey on your lips? Do you desire it more than money, more than toys, more than your career, more than your home, more than your marriage, more than your children? This week, we need to spend some time asking ourselves this question. What am I treasuring more than God's word? What am I putting in place of before God's word? What am I choosing to put between me and hearing from the Lord? And then what we need to do is we need to repent. We need to confess it to the Lord. We need to ask for his Holy Spirit's strength to help us to delight in his word, to desire it as the greatest thing we could ever think of. Because through it, through God's word, you get to enjoy the Lord. You get to enjoy the Lord. His word points to him. When we look at his word, we see the character of God and we get to enjoy him. And so, we need to heed the warning. God's word warns you that a living apart from his word is deadly. Living apart from God's word leads to hell. But your true and your everlasting happiness is found in God's Word, pointing us to Jesus Christ. So God is not silent. He is universally speaking through creation, and He is particularly speaking through His Word. And then lastly, we see that He is intimately speaking through His redemption. Intimately speaking through His redemption. Verses 12 to 14. Who can discern His errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. (laughs) David begins by asking this rhetorical question here. Who can discern his errors? Who can discern his errors apart from God's word? The truth is, apart from God's word, you cannot truly discern your depravity, your sin, your hopelessness. You cannot discern that apart from God's word. It's only through God's word that you can truly see yourself for who you are in the eyes of God. So as we hold up the mirror of truth, God's word, and by his grace, we get the privilege of looking into the depths of our souls. And we get to see the sin that remains. This is the grace of God. If you're faithful to follow God through his word, God never will leave you stewing in your sin. God always wants to be rooting out that old man in you. And he wants to put Christ in place of that old man. He desires to make us like his son, make us like Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had that moment when you're listening, reading God's word or you're listening to a sermon and you feel like the pastor has been reading your emails or has some kind of insight into you, into what your situation is. Like that message was catered just for you. That's the Holy Spirit doing its work. God's word being driven into your heart, exposing the sin. And so the deeper that we dig in God's word, the deeper the Holy Spirit works on our hearts. And so what are we waiting for? Why do we walk by the Bible in the morning and I'm just, I'm too busy this morning. We're all guilty of that at times. The deeper that we dig, God, by his grace, he exposes things that we didn't even know were there. Things that we were even blind to. The psalmist says, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep your servant back from presumptuous sins. He's asking the Lord to show him the remaining sin that is in him. Is that a part of your prayer life? God, show me... Where I am in error, where I am sinning, stuff that I don't even know that I'm doing. Lord, show me these things. And I love what uh, Alexander McLaren says about this. He's a a famous preacher from the turn of the, the century. He says, if you will put yourself into his hands and let him cleanse and restrain... He will give you new powers to detect serpents in the flowers and new resolution to shake off the vipers into the fire. As we submit to God's word, Christ is faithful. He will surely do it. As you you look at your own faith, are you detecting serpents in your garden? Serpents in your soul? And then are you shaking them off into the fire? This is the Christian life. And it begins with God's intimate word as he is redeeming you. Yes, God has redeemed you, but he is redeeming you. You have been saved, but he is continuing to sanctify you. And so we need to embrace this deep ministry of God's word. It's like welcoming surgery. You know that something's wrong, and so you go to the book that cuts deep and exposes the sin, and then puts Christ in place. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And then David asks here, the psalmist asks for strength, for the battle of sin, Psalm nineteen. Verse 13, let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. I love this because this is a proactive cry. This is looking forward. God, I want you to show me more, like he was already saying, but I also want you to protect me and give me strength so that I wouldn't even commit those sins. This is proactive. It's not just a lot of our prayers are reactive. Lord, I did this and I'm sorry. This is proactive. Lord, I don't even want to do that. This is a desire to walk faithfully in the Lord, and the power of his spirit, informed by his words. This is the proper desire of the Christian, the right heart of a Christ follower. It's a desire for holiness, that we would be blameless and innocent of greater transgressions. So friends, as we study God's Word, we see our sin. And when we see our sin, then we're led to confess it to the Lord. And then, when, then we need to ask the Lord for the strength by His Spirit to help us to repent. And then we need to keep asking the Lord, keep on showing me more sin so that I can then repent of it. This ought to be our desire. This should be the normal rhythm of the Christian life. And then the author closes here, let the words of my mouth, in the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is, this is a vertical prayer. Desiring that your whole being, inside and outside, would please the Lord. Is that your desire today? Right? I want to please you, Lord. The rooting out of sin and the growing in. I want to do this for you. Like David cried in Psalm 51. I have sinned against you and you alone, Lord. Getting our eyes on vertical, not just the temporary that happens here. You know, David, he he was a man after God's own heart. This was the psalmist's desire that he would be right in the eyes of God. You know, even though David was the greatest king of Israel, even though he was a specially Holy Spirit anointed leader, we know that he failed. We know that he committed great sin against the people and against the Lord. David couldn't keep God's law perfectly, right? He couldn't keep it perfectly, and there was only one who could, and that was Jesus Christ himself, the one who King David was pointing to. The greater David, Jesus Christ, David himself needed the righteousness of another, just like you and me. Jesus lived the perfect, holy, sinless life, the life that you and I could never live. And then he died on the cross, being nailed to a cross, absorbing the wrath of God for your sin and my sin. He died the death that we all deserve so that you and I and David could have salvation and righteousness that can only come from Jesus Christ. So from the beginning of time, God has been relentlessly revealing himself to the world. God is not silent. He is universally speaking through creation. He is particularly speaking through his word. He is intimately speaking through redemption. God is not silent. He is not silent. Let the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in his sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful psalm. There is so much in here about you revealing yourself to the world. As we think about your general revelation, your creation, our hearts are brought to a place of awe of who you are, that you are a powerful, you are a creator, that you are supreme over your creation. And it leads us to want more. It leads us to want more special revelation because when we look at, the, look at the creation, we're led to want to know the creator. And Lord, as we read your word, as we look at your special revelation, we see that we are sinners. That we are born into sin. That we have been separated from you because of our sin. But you, by your grace, as revealed through your word, you revealed to us Jesus Christ. Such grace. And we thank you for that. That you did not leave us alone in the darkness. But that you pursued us by the grace of your word. Lord, help us to treasure it so much more. Help us to to look to it as the greatest thing we could ever hold on to and read and understand and meditate on and pray through in this life. Lord, your word will remain forever, and we thank you for it. We pray that you would continue to work in us, even now as we turn to the Lord's Supper and celebrate your death for us.